0: In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by
1: law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Warning: If you haven't figured out that the Wicked Library has strong themes of an adult, sometimes violent and decidedly scary nature, then by all means, keep listening. Go on. It's just that you're not going to complain about it. Oh, you can try, but you'll be scoffed at and ridiculed mercilessly by the host, the narrators, the producers, and you could bet your dangling participle me. Go ahead. Try it. You're not going to like it one little bit, but our millions of listeners will eat it up. <laughs> and that's not hyperbole, kiddies. So there's your warning. Enjoy the show, kiddies! <laughs> Hello, kiddies! This is your li- I'm getting to it! Sorry about that. This is your librarian and I wanted to take a moment to introduce you to... I'm getting to it! Introduce you to our new Assistant Librarian, Samantha Murphy. Say hello now, Samantha. Yes, she's a little anxious. She's going to be helping me take over some of the reading duties here at the Wicked Library. She'll be helping choose stories submitted to the Wicked Library and helping me choose the best and the brightest of those stories. Then we turn them into audio nightmares for you to enjoy. She's also going to help... I'm getting to it! She's very, very ambitious. (laughs) Probably a little hungry, too. She's also going to help feed the myriad of dark things that dwell in the darker parts of the library. Yes, that was in your contract. (laughs) Anyway, let's say hello to Sam. She's going to be a big part of the show, and a huge part of Season 9, in fact. Well, I've got to get going. Apparently somebody wants some air. (laughs) If you would like to submit some stories to the Wicked Library for consideration, go to thewickedlibrary.com slash submissions. And me, yes, and Sam will take a look at it. And then we'll be back with you. Toodles? (laughs) Oh, come on, Sam. Gosh, some people just want to breathe, apparently. (laughs) Have a good day, kiddies. (laughs) And leave the lights on. Well, there aren't any lights down there. That might be a problem since she's supposed to be reading. (laughs) Oh, well.
2: Welcome to episode number 815 of the Wicked Library. As always, before we get started today, a big thank you to our new and ongoing supporters. If you enjoy this show and want to help us keep making it, you should support us on Patreon or thewickedlibrary.com. Not only do all of our supporters get a completely ad-free show, they also get the highest quality version of the show, and you get access to our first five seasons, official bookmarks, and depending upon your level of support, you'll get to hear our bonus stories before the free listeners. Plus, at the $10 a month and above level, you'll get to hear our new show, available only to our supporters The Private Collector. Sign up today at patreon.com forward slash wicked library or the wickedlibrary.com forward slash subscribe to become a friend of the wicked library and, of course, a friend of the librarian. We're working very hard this season to make the show sustainable for Season 9 and beyond, and we do need your help to do that. A big thank you to those who took the time to rate us five stars and write a short review for us on iTunes. Your ratings help others find the show. And, of course, we always love hearing why you listen to the wicked tales we share. A few quick announcements today. First off, I want to let you know that our good friend Alex Murd, and you know Alex... Her artwork is plastered shamelessly all over our merchandise, all over our website. She's extremely talented. If you're familiar with this show, you know how talented she is. She has a new book out over at store.murdcomics.com. It's a comic book that she's done in conjunction with her partner in crime, James Murd. So you get two for one. Head over to store.murdcomics.com, Pick yours up for just 11 bucks, including shipping, and show Alex how much you love her work. Speaking of our artist friends, our good friend Jeanette Andromeda, whose artwork you've also seen linked to this show, is just a hair away from 300 subscribers on YouTube, and we'd love for you to give her a little push and get her over 300. Hell, let's go for 500, folks. She has a great channel where she shows you all the behind the scenes of how she makes the art she makes. And to make it easy for you, because YouTube doesn't really give out links that are very easy, You can head over to thewickedlibrary.com forward slash Andromeda, and that'll take you right to her channel so you can subscribe and see all the fun. There's even a video featuring a puppet show with yours truly and Nelson W. Piles in puppet form. Head over and subscribe, won't you? Thewickedlibrary.com forward slash Andromeda. Also, since many of you have asked for it, we do have Wicked Library mugs, Laptop cases, tote stickers, t-shirts, hoodies, and more now available. Head over to the wickedlibrary.com and click on Get Wicked Gear. Share your shameless love for the show by plastering our name all over everything you own. Thank you so much to all of you for listening and supporting the show and our contributors. Please, as I always ask, if you enjoy the stories you hear, find the work of the authors and buy their work. It keeps them making more. You can find links to them and their work at thewickedlibrary.com. For today's episode, we did get a little bit of editing help from our friends over at The Portland Pod, formerly known as Seder Productions. Today's episode, Gardening, by Kathleen Queen, features the voice talents of Cynthia Lohman, Andy James, Nicole Goodnight, and yours truly. And it features a great custom score by our good friend, Nico Vitesse, of We Talk of Dreams. Now... Without any further ado, let's get wicked.
0: Hello, kiddies. You know who I am by now. Sit down and relax while you can. Your librarian has taken such good care of you for seven seasons. I see no need to lighten up for season eight. Hold on to your breath, kiddies. It might just be your last. Once again, it's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs>
2: GARDENING By Kathleen Queen A coarse feline tongue licked her forehead, waking her. It was Fred, her orange tabby. Her mind was foggy. She felt drunk, but she didn't remember drinking. She tried to remember last night, but no memory came. She let herself doze off again. As she drifted under, she had a dream about John when he was young. He was smiling. His wonderful smile was what captured her interest when they first met. He had a great smile. A while later, the discomfort on her forehead woke her again. The rasping sound of the feline cleaning machine on her increasingly sore skin was all she could hear. She thought John was at work because there was no television blaring sports in the living room. It must be a weekday, she decided. She tried to determine what time it was. She listened for the shower or John snoring. All she could hear was the rasp, rasp, rasp of Fred's tongue. She wondered why she had slept in so late. It wasn't like her to sleep in. Heat from the sun coming in the window onto her face was making her sweat. Her red hair felt damp. Her mind swirled. She couldn't pin her thoughts still. She did not want to open her green eyes to that bright sunlight. She felt like her whole body was cooking in the hot sun. She must have a fever too, she thought. She couldn't smell coffee or fresh cigar smoke. So John must have left hours ago, she thought. She tried to remember what she was supposed to do today. What she had to make for dinner an image of spaghetti popped into her head. John loved her spaghetti. He loved most of her cooking. Paige felt a sudden urge to jump up and make breakfast. It was getting late. Then she remembered that John wasn't here. He was at work. She felt anxiety creep in about not having breakfast ready. But he hadn't roused her. Maybe he let her sleep in today. Sometimes, if he had been mad at her the day before, he let her sleep in. She relaxed and dozed off again. She just wanted a few more minutes. This time, she dreamed of floating through the air, lying on her back, moving through warm clouds. And she could hear music in the distance, singing. It was John's voice singing cheerfully like he used to when he was young and full of hope and plans. As he aged, he became bitter and frustrated, making him the man she knew now, angry and cruel. The dream turned dark, and she was falling, and the air turned frosty cold. She was falling, and she tried to wake up, but she couldn't, and the sound of John singing was far away page jarred awake the dream ended before she hit the ground her heart was hammering and her head throbbed in rhythm with her pulse oddly she could still hear john singing but that couldn't be right she lay still straining to hear over the persistent cat's licking still cleaning her forehead
0: why does fred keep doing that
2: she was getting irritated with the cat She would have to wash the gob off her face when she got up. She did hear music. Far away outside. Faint, but definitely John, wasn't it? It didn't make any sense. John didn't sing. Must be someone's radio in another yard. She listened intently. It was John, singing that popular song. She recognized it now. What was it called again? Bobby, somebody sang it. Decades ago. She knew the word, something about being happy. That was it. They played that song so much for a couple of years, it was always on the radio. Paige had liked it. John did not. She must still be dreaming, because even if John was outside singing, which would be peculiar enough... He would not be singing that song he hated that song she decided she was still dreaming and relaxed her tangled mind back under the shawl of sleep she went again the cat woke her licking the same place over and over it was hurting he was licking her red hair too pulling it a bit with his combing tongue above her temple Confusion enveloped her mind, still not ready to wake up. She struggled to get a grip on awareness, strained to focus. She knew she could get up, flu or no flu, and she needed to pee. Her eyes didn't want to open, but she put some effort into it and slowly light began to seep in between her stubborn lids. The light hurt at first, but she held her eyes open it got a little better she rolled her eyes around to look at the room it looked strange like a dream room similar to the real one but not quite right she figured the fever was making her vision dodgy she felt soaked in sweat Paige moved her left arm to push the cat away because she had enough of his cleaning orgy hurting her skin her arm wouldn't move
1: Weird. It must be asleep. I must have slept on it.
2: She thought. She struggled to get her bearings. She was lying on her right side, so why was her left arm asleep? Alarmed, Paige opened her eyes all the way and stared into the orange and white striped face of Fred, one inch away from hers. She tried again to move her left arm and, after no response, her right arm... She couldn't move it either. She was getting scared.
0: This is no dream, is it? Maybe I'm still asleep and this is just an extension of a falling dream.
2: She shook her head to get the damn cat away. He yielded and sat a few inches away, washing his own face. Fuck off, Fred, she tried to say, but it came out. <sighs> Paige was becoming panicked because shaking her head seemed to be the only movement she was capable of, and her mouth wouldn't speak correctly. Did she have a stroke in her sleep?
0: What the hell?
2: She tried her legs one at a time, but she could not make them move. The only thing she could move was her face, her head, her eyes and mouth, and she could hear. She realized with horror... But she was almost completely paralyzed. Adrenaline surged as her situation truly dawned on her. Her fuzzy mind cleared a little more with the chemical boost. Her heart smashed against her ribs. Her mind was still fighting clarity, still indistinct. She knew she was in her bedroom because she could see the familiar waterfall picture that hung on her wall. The angle was wrong on the picture, though. And Fred was right in front of her. But he was on the floor, which meant that she was on the floor too.
0: What the hell am I doing on the floor? Why can't
1: I move?
2: She made a massive effort to move her arms and legs again. But they would not respond. Why could she still hear John singing that stupid song in the background? Was she hallucinating? Sweat trickled down the side of her face. Fred had left her field of vision and had commenced meowing for breakfast in the hallway leading to the kitchen. John would not feed the cat. John was out in the yard singing, which was insane. What was he doing out there? Why was he singing a song he hated? Why hadn't he awakened her to make breakfast if he was still home and not at work? Panic made her breath come in panting gasps, so she forced herself to breathe Slower.
0: Slow down. You will figure this out. Just think.
2: Now that the adrenaline had enabled her brain to wake up all the way, Paige became aware of another sound over the cat's meows and John singing the hated song in the backyard. It sounded like... chopping. It sounded like John was chopping the weeds around the fence at the edge of the yard. A chore she had always done. John did not. Do yard work. Paige had a pretty good idea of what John did and didn't like. He had a way of helping her remember. It could have been worse. He could have been one of those husbands who verbally abused their wives in front of other people. John would never behave like that. He was too proud. She lay there trying not to feel terrified. The sound of chopping went on and on, and John singing that song for what seemed like hours. There weren't that many weeds to chop in the yard. She kept it done because John liked it to look nice. Was he chopping down a tree? She needed to pee urgently, and she worried that she was going to have an accident. This wasn't just the flu or some bizarre dream. She feared she must have had a stroke or an aneurysm or something. People had those all the time. Even young people. She was going to lie here and pee herself, which would be the worst thing of all. Tears slipped out and over her nose, trickling down the right side of her face onto the floor where she lay. The crying made her eyes burn. A hot wave of pain washed through her head, She passed out again. When Paige woke up, her head throbbed and she felt hot all over, and yet shivered from the sweat that soaked her clothes. She tried to wriggle her body, but no attempt at moving her arms and legs succeeded. She thrashed her head back and forth, frustrated, whining like a child. That was all she could do. She turned her face toward the door, and a sticky substance smeared her cheek. It was blood. She could smell it. The first thought she had was that John was going to be upset if there was a mess on the floor. He hated messes. Her distress grew as she realized that the blood was hers, and that it must have come from her head. And that was why she was so muddled and kept passing out. A head injury explained a lot.
1: But when and how did it happen?
2: Her memory was blank. She began to cry again for a minute.
0: <laughs> that isn't going to help,
2: she scolded.
0: Stop it and get your ass up off this floor and figure out how you got here.
2: She took a big sniffling breath and tried again to move something, anything Her right arm was under her, so it was stuck. Her feet moved, and the toes wiggled. Her ankles hurt. She suddenly noticed a burning ache in both of them. Her knees bent a little. She tried moving her arms again, one at a time. This time, her wrists hurt the same way as her ankles. A burning, tight pain, which got worse when she tried to move. She comprehended with horror. she was tied up what the hell is going on she fought desperately against her bonds but nothing gave she was stuck she forced herself to think rationally trying not to panic she must have been lying here for hours based on how badly she had to pee could not be possible that she was lying here for so long without john knowing about it did he do this to her why he had never done anything like this before Paige felt cold all over when she understood that her husband had done this to her and that he was aware of her condition he often got very jolly after one of their tiffs he loved calling it that when he lost all control of his rage but he had never tied her up he never celebrated by doing yard work he would not be singing that song no matter how jovial he was feeling. The last tiff had been so bad that she had finally broken her fearful silence and warned him afterward that if it happened again, she was going to leave. She would get a divorce and he would lose his personal slave and punching bag. She hadn't actually said all of that out loud, but she did threaten to leave. He had been very cheerful about it and laughed in her face. But it had been quite a while since he had corrected her with one of their little tiffs. Paige squeezed her eyes shut and tried to force her mind to remember yesterday, especially last night. There was nothing there. Okay. She told herself.
0: What's the last thing you remember? Start there. What did you make for dinner yesterday?
2: She kept her eyes shut and focused her mind on the kitchen.
0: Chicken pie.
2: Came to her at once.
0: What else?
2: There was nothing. She had lost almost 24 hours leading up to this bizarre awakening. And her husband was outside acting insane. She kept having the same thoughts over and over. Why is he gardening? Why is he singing? Until she forced herself to calm down again.
0: Think. Think harder.
2: The pain in her head was growing much worse as she tried to remember what happened.
1: The chicken pie. Then
0: what?
2: She repeated this over a few times. Unable to get more. She couldn't even remember cooking the dinner or eating it. The whole evening was a blank. The chopping and singing from the yard stopped. She felt hope for a moment. And then dread. Whatever he had done to her last night he was usually really nice the day after. He might come and help her now but that singing unnerved her and she had no idea what his mental state was. She decided to play it safe. She closed her eyes, relaxed her face muscles and faked sleep. She had become good at that years ago to avoid sex but John would just wake her up do it anyway she concentrated on keeping her breathing slow and quiet if he believed she was still out cold maybe he would leave her alone the back door slammed the sound of John's shoes tromping from the back door and down the hall carried to her echoing through the house she would know that sound anywhere slam tromp 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 he went into the bathroom urinated, flushed, and came out without washing his hands, as usual. He went to the kitchen, and she heard the fridge open and close, then the sound of a beer can being popped and the slurping that followed. He continued guzzling from the can as he tromped into the living room and fell into his recliner, dropping hard judging by the sound of the complaining yelp from the chair. Paige heard the sound of his cell phone, He always put it on speaker so he could pace around while he used it, she could hear it now from the bedroom. He was checking his messages. She recognized a familiar woman's voice in the message. After the woman stopped speaking, he erased the message. Then Paige heard ringing. Hello? It was the voice of the woman from the message, Dr. Margaret Jones, John's court-ordered psychiatrist. He was ordered to take anger management treatment after an incident in the Safeway parking lot, involving a woman who had dared to take a parking spot that John had wanted. The woman was not badly hurt, but she pressed charges. The judge had fallen for that charming smile that John was famous for, and it was his first offense. And he was a white man, so no real punishment was handed down.
0: If that judge only knew the truth about John.
2: Paige had thought many times since. How is everything going? Dr. Jones asked cheerfully. Great.
0: Just like we talked about.
2: John was smiling. Paige could tell from his voice, his big grin, the one he saved for waitresses or judges.
0: She's taking a nap right now. I'm going to go help her to bed. Okay. I'll see you at your usual appointment time. Yep. See you then, Doc.
2: John was beaming. Paige could tell. She felt like vomiting. Is it possible the doctor knew what happened? She couldn't believe he would discuss his raging abuse of his wife with the lovely Dr. Jones. Nothing was making sense. He said he was going to help Paige into bed. So, why wasn't he helping her? Why was she tied up? Something suddenly clicked in Paige's fragmented mind, as clear as day. She had a vivid flashback of sitting at the kitchen table, signing a pile of legal papers for John to renew some things for the house and insurance. See you on Friday.
0: Goodbye. Right, Doc. See you soon. Thanks for everything.
2: Paige heard the beep when the phone hung up. Then there was silence. Panic was rising in her throat again. She lay there, terrified by what might come next. Then she heard John tromp through the house and slam the back door again. She felt a wash of relief when he was back outside. The sound of chopping began again. Paige had never been more awake in her life than she was now, struggling desperately to get free, waiting for John to come back. Why wasn't he coming to untie her? Her mind was brimming with fright. She writhed, helpless and hot with terror, sweating and listening to John singing and chopping. But it wasn't chopping, Paige suddenly realized. That sound. It wasn't cleaning up the yard. Everything became crystal clear, and her bladder let go. She felt hot urine soak her body and clothes. It should have brought relief, but she was trying too hard not to start screaming. She knew what John was doing. He was digging.
0: Oh, it's not that easy to leave the Wicked Library. There's still an interview with the author. But first, this.
2: So here we are, folks, the break in between the story and the interview. And a lot of you ask, what can you do to help the show out? How can you support the Wicked Library? How can you make sure we keep making the shows for you? Well, we have sponsors. That's one of the ways. And if you were contacts and you were going to order contacts anyway, why not try out Simple Contacts? Simple Contacts lets you renew your expired contact prescription and reorder your brand of lenses from your phone or computer in minutes. And we know you have one of those because that's how you're listening to this show. You can take the Simple Contacts vision test online in five minutes. Then a real doctor reviews it and renews your prescription. So you save time, you save money, and you save yourself a wicked headache. And if you have an unexpired prescription, it's even easier. You just upload a photo of it or your doctor's info, and order your lenses in minutes for a great price. They do all the hard work for you. Simple Contacts offers every brand of lenses at great prices. In fact, the prescription is just $20. Compare that to an annual appointment, which can be up to $200 without insurance. Simple Contacts also gives you free shipping, and best of all, because you listen to the Wicked Library, you get $20 off your first Simple Contact order, by going to simplecontacts.com forward slash Wicked20 or just enter the code Wicked20 at checkout. Now, of course, this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You still need to have those occasionally, but this is the most convenient way to renew your prescription and reorder your contacts if your vision hasn't changed. Again, check out Simple Contacts and get $20 off by going to simplecontacts.com forward slash Wicked20 or just enter the promo code Wicked20 at checkout. It's a great company and their sponsorship helps the show keep coming. So go ahead over to simplecontacts.com forward slash Wicked20 and take care of your eyes. So today, my guest is Kathleen Queen, and we just listened to your story, Gardening. And, uh, you know, we all know it's a lot of work to to write a story. What made this one that you stuck with? What made this one you wanted to tell?
1: Well, it's one of the first short stories I wrote after I made a decision to put my novels aside for a little while. And it's, it's one of those ideas that came to me just as I woke up in the morning, and it occurred to me how scary it would be if you woke up and you couldn't move. So to bed and I wrote it down and I thought, that's ah, a great, scary
2: story. Yeah. There's a, you know, a lot of times those, those ideas that you get just upon waking or uh, if you wake up in the middle of the night, those are, are a lot of times some of the greatest story fodder. Uh, you're in that kind of quasi awake, quasi asleep, dreamlike state, And uh, I think a lot of scary ideas can come to you at that point.
1: Yeah, and for some reason, your brain seems to be really creative when you're sleeping, and when you're awake, you're too busy with other things sometimes.
2: Yeah, the longer you're awake, the further away those ideas go sometimes. So tell me, what was your biggest struggle with this story? I I know every story kind of has its own challenges, so for this one in particular, uh, what were, were some of the things that you struggled with?
1: Well, the biggest struggle I had with this particular story was trying to imagine what it would be like to be this woman with this really horrible husband because I have no personal experience with that particular situation so I wanted it to be a part of the story but I had to think about you know what would that be like to know that this man is just so awful you know so that was hard for me because I had to just use pure imagination (laughs) for that one
2: He definitely came across as as very twisted, singing songs. And meanwhile, she's laying there confused and terrified. And, uh, you know, obviously he has no care in the world about it.
1: Yeah, I thought about the guy from the movie uh, Sleeping with the Enemy. I thought about that husband.
2: You know, it's funny you say that because when I was reading the the story right after you submitted it, the first thing that popped into my head was that opening where it kind of looks like everything is perfect and it's a great. And then you see the towels a little bit off and she's you know, trying to get it back on. And then you realize how deep it goes.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: So you mentioned novels. I know that writing chapters for a novel takes a lot of work. Uh, How many drafts did this complete short story take
1: you? it was really hard for me to make that adjustment because i'd only done one or two short stories before and it was years ago and i had been working on a big novel uh just before christmas and new year's resolution was okay short stories for this year and so it's really hard to get character development and plot development and all of that in 10 pages so it was really difficult to do that but this one it took about five drafts Mm -hmm. And of course the first one was too long, it was about 20 pages. And so each draft was more about condensing and chopping and just brutally cutting out parts that I really liked because they weren't necessary, you know. So that was hard for me because in a novel you can just, you know, elaborate and be as verbose as you want and uh, get away with it. But in 10 pages, it's not allowed.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a unique challenge. And I, you know, I think that going through and doing short story writing is something that is a great exercise for any writer because you know it teaches you, like you said, to really get down to the substance of the story and get rid of the stuff that doesn't need to be there, even if it's fun, but doesn't serve the larger picture. And of course, in a story where you want a big impact in one sitting, it's really important to be able to do that. So for this story... You know, you mentioned you had five drafts. What was maybe the the most difficult thing for you to cut out of the story? Was there something that you were particularly attached to and you finally convinced yourself that it was okay for it to go?
1: Yeah, I had a scene where the phone rang and the husband answered the phone and she could hear him in in the other room. and, And the conversation that he was having with this other person, he put it on speaker and she could hear this whole conversation and it was pertaining to her situation. And uh, that made it even more scary for her because it was like, oh, my God, you know, this is all planned and it's not, you know, it's, it's really happening. So I had to cut that out because it was too long. It was a page or too long. So.
2: so we just got kind of the shortened version where he's talking to the psychiatrist It actually was a, a longer scene previously, huh?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a whole big, long thing with them having an affair and this whole big conversation. (laughs) Very good.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it actually comes across pretty clear what's going on from the the short version of the conversation. Sometimes whenever you leave a little more to the imagination of the listener or the reader, uh, it it can can almost be more powerful. And I think that that really worked well for you in this one.
1: Oh, that's good. That's good.
2: So tell me, since we're talking about writing and we're talking about scary things— Tell me about something that you read that made you decide you wanted to write scary stories. Was there something that you were exposed to, either a story or a movie or it could be anything?
1: Oh, well, the first real adult stories I ever read were Ray Bradbury short stories. Oh, yeah. And reading The Small Assassin and The Sound of Thunder while they were meant to be you know sort of thriller suspense to me they were horror because i was 10 years old and i was really scared and i loved it so i was just from that age attracted to that sort of story um i was a big reader ever since i was a little kid but you know alice in wonderland and and the the bobby twins and those type of things but once i started reading adult stories i wasn't interested in regular stories i wanted scary stuff i wanted this or the sci-fi or the ghosts, you know. So of course when I started to decide to to start writing my own stories, that's what I wanted to do. There was never any idea of, of romances or or historical dramas, you know.
2: Bradbury's a great mention. I mean he is he is definitely a master of the, the short story form and
1: yeah.
2: really good at horror, really good at suspense. And you know, you mentioned Alice in Wonderland too, which I don't know. I mean I I almost look at Alice in Wonderland as children's horror because it's It was
1: kind of scary. It was I was eight when I read it and it kinda scared me. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's it's funny, one of the things that, you know, Neil Gaiman says about Coraline is that adults are more terrified by Coraline than than children are. And I think that (laughs) as we get older, you know, there's just kind of things that that we understand a little more and and reading Alice in Wonderland that is as an adult, Alice is in a pretty terrifying situation there. So I agree. When you're writing, what routines or uh, favorite rituals do you have to kind of get you in the right mindset?
1: Basically, I look after my cats. I make sure they're fed, they have water, they're happy. I know I'm going to be gone for a few hours. Right. I have a separate part of my house where I go and write, and they can't get in there. It's, it's a study that's a sort of a, an extension of the rest of my house, and it's a, a big room full of plants and bookcases and desks and things. And so I make sure the cats are okay and my chores are done and I don't have to return any phone calls, sort of clear my calendar and my brain. And I come in this room and it's quiet. I can shut the doors and it's absolutely silent in here. And because I live out in the country, there's no traffic, there's no fire engines. It's just pure concentration. And some writers like to have music on in the background. I could never stand that. I just have to have absolute silence. And then I sit down at my computer And I focus, I open a white page, and then I sort of put my hands on the keyboard, and I let them do whatever they want. I just sort of free up my fingers and say, okay, guys, go. And whatever comes out, that's what I get.
2: (laughs) Now, that sounds like a great routine. I mean, I think that silence and and, uh, being away from all distractions definitely helps. I know that some of my best writing sessions have been whenever I've been away from everything, kind of out in the woods by myself or you know, uh, taking a little retreat away from everything where the only thing I can hear is like the crickets, no no traffic, no noise, uh, no music to distract you. I think that that's a really intense writing session where you kind of almost have to write. Otherwise there's nothing else for your mind to do.
1: Exactly. And there's a lot of times where I don't have the internet, uh, where I live, it's kind of sketchy. And so there's no Netflix. To distract me and I think well I could either write or I could read a book which I also enjoy but when there's no internet I can just sit in here for 10 hours or 12 hours and just one day I wrote two stories in one day wow. because that's what I wanted to do you know
2: yeah there's there's definitely a lot to be said for no distraction I mean I think that we do that a lot I mean in in modern society we kind of try to fill all the empty minutes up you know it's one of the things whenever I was starting to get into mindfulness and meditation and just trying to calm myself down uh that there's just so much that we distract ourselves with and very few people just take boy, 10 minutes a day to just boy. think about nothing
1: yeah yeah exactly
2: and yeah I mean especially for writers and for creatives it's it's really important to have that dedicated time where there's nothing to distract you it's just you on yeah. the page. People talk about writer's block, and I think that that's because it's so jarring sometimes to go from the daily routine to just nothing, where you have to just let it come out. And obviously, that's part of your routine. You know how to use that to your advantage, and uh, it's just practice. It's it's going through and experiencing that enough times that your things turn on whenever they're supposed to, I guess.
1: Yeah, I don't really... I don't think I could ever say I've had writer's block. I don't really understand what what that would feel like. I mean, there's days when I don't feel like writing, but it's not that I can't. I just right. don't want it, you know. And I think because of the lifestyle I lead, I'm semi-retired now, and I don't have this big schedule I have to follow, and I have a peaceful life, a peaceful setting, and there's not so much input. That's the way I see it is input is watching Netflix, playing computer games, interacting with other people, noise, things you have to do. That's all the input that's always going into your brain. And writing is output. It's yeah. pure. Output. So when you can get everything else that's giving you input all the time and distracting you away from you, then you can do the output. And it's just like a fountain sometimes. It's just, whoa, here we go. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really great.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I, I'm not a I'm not a believer in writer's block either. I, I think that it's, um, I think that it's it's almost like nervousness. Probably is probably the better way to describe writer's block. Like you're sitting down and you're just expecting things to happen. It's like any other job. You just have to do it. Um, and sometimes what you write is no good, uh, but if you do it often enough, most of what you write will be good. So.
1: Yeah, and I've had a couple times where I've sat down and I've got the white page in front of me and there's nothing. I'm just sitting there. And so I'll type, you're a stupid idiot or you're a lazy slob. And just I'll just type something stupid and just to make myself laugh. And then I think, okay, well, what if this person was saying this to another person? And then I'll make up a person and I'll I'll have them swearing at each other just to make myself laugh and just sort of play, you know. And then, of course, I erase it all. and But in the meantime, I've got an idea for a story and away I go. But it usually only lasts for like five minutes. It doesn't last for very long where I'm just completely blocked. You right. know, just, you just write anything. Just write, this is a horrible computer and I hate my phone, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> anything. And then something will come out of that, you know.
2: Momentum. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned output and, and obviously outputs what writers are suppo- supposed to do. Um, What is your favorite form of input? Because, I mean, obviously we need something to fill the well and to inspire us. Uh, Do you have something that you go to that uh, gives you inspiration and and helps refill that well?
1: Well, I read a lot. I read every day and sometimes half the day I'll spend reading if I've got a good book out of the library. And, yes, I still read paper books. (laughs) Nothing wrong Um, with that. I I prefer them to electronic reading because I can get comfortable and just have my little book in my hand and i i read stephen king and i recently discovered octavia butler who is a sci-fi and speculative fiction writer that yeah. I, I discovered unfortunately after she passed away i discovered her and i've read a few things of hers recently that were great and i'll go back and read these old Ray Bradbury short story books, once in a while, and they're 50, 60 years old, some of them. Yeah. And I'll just spend the day reading these just for fun, you know, and then I'll read an Oprah book or I'll watch a good movie. Um, recently, um, the best scary thing I've seen lately is this movie called Get Out. Okay. And it was extremely spooky and suspenseful because I did not see what was coming in that story. And that was one of the the kind of stories i really like is it's not predictable I, you could not see what was going to happen
2: yeah that's the best
1: yeah and it's hard to fool me because i've seen so many and read so many books i i'm almost always in there oh i know what's going to happen you know but this one i really truly didn't
2: yeah the old writer's curse where you're like you know, most writers that i know have that problem they're just like okay this is what's going to happen next <laughs>
1: You know, it's so easy and, you know, not to be mean, but most movies that are coming out of Hollywood these days, they don't surprise me at all. They're just so predictable. Yeah. And it's so nice to see one once in a while that's not. It's right. It's just, wow, you know? So.
2: Yep. It's, it's yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of sitting there going, well, if I was writing this, I would probably not do this. So that's probably what's going to happen in this movie. They're, they're probably going to go this way because <laughs> that's the, that's the easy path.
1: You know, don't run upstairs and hide in the bathroom. That's a bad idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they always do, and I don't know why. They're still doing it.
2: Or go down into the basement. Is there someone down yeah. here?
1: Yeah. Of yeah. course
2: there's someone down there, dummy. Dummy.
1: Exactly.
2: I think that uh, Stephen King's great. And uh, obviously, you know, we we talked a little bit about Bradbury. I mean, those are great ways to fill the well. And the nice thing about those stories is even though they are old, like you're saying, I think that a lot of times when you come to these stories, you get something different because you're a different person each time you read them. That's
1: exactly right. You know, because if I read these like once every 10 years, it's almost like I enjoy them more. Yeah. Because I understand them better, and I understand the writing process, and I, I, I do. I see it from a different perspective, so I think I appreciate them even more. Yeah. And I'm reading Skeleton Crew right now. I'm reading the short stories in Skeleton Crew, which I think was written in the '80s. Yeah. Um, short stories by Stephen King, and these are scary to me still. Yeah. They're just amazing. You know.
2: It's, yeah, you, you get that same sense of dread back whenever you, you revisit them. It's, you get that comfort because it's like, you know, visiting an old friend again. You get the new stuff because you maybe took it a different way last time or you, like you said, you, you've experienced more, so you get more out of it. And then you also still get, you know, th- that's a true master at work when you still get that dread, even knowing where oh, it's going.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's one story in there called The Monkey. Oh, yeah. And as soon as, as soon as I see the title, I remember what it's about and I get chills because it's so <laughs> creepy. If I ever see a toy monkey that's clashing symbols, I'm running. I'm going to just start running the other way. Yeah, that's a terrifying
2: one. Absolutely.
1: You know that one? It's oh yeah. Really scary.
2: <laughs> so you mentioned we, we talk a little bit about stories that uh, you know inspire you and in, in revisiting stories. Is there a story? or a, a movie or anything that you've seen that really changed the way that you looked at the world. It doesn't have to be horror. Uh, just something that maybe, you know, gave you a good shift in reality where you're like, you know what? I see things differently now.
1: You know, I hate to sound like a broken record and I, I obviously I'm a fan of Stephen King, but his dark power series. Oh yeah. Um, the, the way that he put together sci-fi magic You know, post apocalyptic dystopia Mm -hmm. and magic crystal balls, you know, and he sort of just mixed it all together and that jumping between worlds and in different dimensions and different sort of iterations of his life and other people's lives. It never occurred to me before. I mean, I've seen time travel and I've read sci fi about dimensions and stuff. It never occurred to me before that you could put all of that in the same story together. Yeah. And how the different people would interact and how you could sort of jump back and forth and make effects in this world that would help you in the other world and it, that one really really grabbed my mind
2: yeah it's it's one of my favorite concepts it's it's absolutely very cool the the um, the interconnectedness of all things is something that's that's always inspired me and and that I've always found fascinating you know like how one invention from 1830 affects something very current and you know you can watch that path of evolution where something that's maybe not even directly connected, inspired this, this, and this. And so, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, always fun to explore that. So what attracts you to, to writing horror and speculative fiction? I know we talked a little bit about, you know, you wanting to write scary stuff whenever you, you got into it, but what, what keeps you coming back to that? Well,
1: I find it so satisfying to be able to tell a story that is disturbing and possibly suspenseful and yet satisfying. Um, Some people have, uh, you know, people that don't like these kind of things and they prefer regular literary fiction. I'm making quote fingers here Um, because, you know, it's it's so scary or it it upsets me or it gives me nightmares. For me, it's the opposite. It's like life does have horrible things in it and sometimes things turn out bad and, and people have awful things happen. But sometimes by reading these stories, it's sort of cathartic where yeah. okay in my story at least she finally knew what was going to happen to her for the whole story she's just absolutely mystified and and she's more scared because she doesn't know but then when she finally knows it's like okay you can just accept that and we get it and it's horrible but it's we get it it's, it's over now and we can sort of let it go yeah. because there's nothing we can do right absolutely um and in some stories it's you're reading about a situation maybe that has happened to you or that has happened to somebody that you know and it sort of helps you work through these emotions and and I don't know I just I find it more satisfying than writing a regular old story
2: yeah now I think that that um, horror writers are some of the m- more well balanced people that I've met because I, they get a lot of this out so catharsis is definitely a big part of it um,
1: I totally agree yeah
2: and it's, it's, it's really you know I think a very deep form of storytelling. I mean, when you get back to, I always talk about original, uh, but I mean there really are no original unless you want to go back to like uh, caveman times. But even (laughs) even fairy tales and and folk tales, which are you know old oral forms of storytelling, there's always a horror element to it. You know, it's like if you if you look at the original fairy tales before Disney dressed them up, they're 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 very dark and they're very scary.
1: The Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid oh, is a really horrible. bad story, and it was my favorite story when I was a little kid, but she dies at the end, and she dies heartbroken.
2: Oh, yeah. There's yeah. like there's like mutila- <laughs> mutilation going on and all kinds of stuff.
1: And this guy ignores her after she goes through this agonizing, razor-sharp pain to lose her, her fit, and it's just horrible. But for some reason, I was attracted to that story, and it was my favorite one. And then they did it for Disney and it's everybody lives happily ever after. They <laughs> ruined it. That's not the way it's supposed to go.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah,
1: yeah, I totally agree with you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are so many, like if you look at all the Disney stories and you trace them back to their roots, they're just, they're, yeah. they're really dark. Um, yeah. But there's, like I said, there and like you said, there's something very satisfying about You know, going through that experience. And at the end, you're okay. You know, regardless of what happens to the people in the story, you're okay. And maybe you know what to avoid when you're going to grandmother's house.
1: Do not make that deal with that sea witch. That's right. Bad idea. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think as kids, too, when you read a story like that, you can look at it and go, oh my very lucky I have such a great life yeah. you know I'm, I'm okay I don't have to be a fish you know and uh, and same with Alice in Wonderland you know you put that down and you walk away from it thinking phew I'm glad I'm not her yeah you know <laughs>
2: <laughs> absolutely so tell me what a story has to do a story that you're reading or a story or a movie that you're watching what does it have to do to scare you
1: it has to surprise me. If it's predictable, it just makes me mad. It has to surprise me. It has to have at least some element of the story that's not really obvious from the very beginning. It has to sort of have a little bit of suspense where you're working up to something's wrong. And they can even have spooky music so you know something's wrong, but you don't know what. And you right. can't figure out what.
2: No, that's and a later great on, point. when
1: they tell you what, you're surprised what it is. So that's
2: what I like. Yeah, no, that's. I think that's a great point. You, you do have to have something that's not obvious, but you also have to have something that fits because a lot of times I think that, not a lot of times, but frequently I've seen movies or read stories where there's a twist and you're like, well, where did that come from? There's no...
1: Ridiculous. Yeah, I know, yeah.
2: It's great when all the pieces are there, but you didn't put them together. And when you get to the end, you're like, now it's obvious.
1: Well, like this movie I mentioned earlier, Get Out, Uh the pieces are all there. And even from the very beginning of the movie, and when you watch it for the second time, you you can see every little detail that you missed the first time.
2: Yeah, that's clever storytelling. It's the the art of distraction where you're paying attention to one thing, misdirection, you're paying attention to this, and you should be paying attention to this. But it's satisfying when you get to the end and you're like, oh, it all fits. It's like a puzzle. It's great. So what are you working on right now? What, what else have you got going on?
1: I'm still doing the short stories. I made a deal with myself. No novels this year. So all of this year, I'm going to just be doing short stories. I've written more than 20 of them that I'm quite happy with, but I haven't sent that many out yet because I have a problem with sometimes thinking that they're finished. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, so I'm a bit slow at that end. Um, right now, I... I'm thinking of a story or working on a story about a woman who has more than 25 identities. Not personalities, just, just fake identities, and she lives these 25 different sort of aspects of a life, and some of them are really, really bad. Most of them are just this normal woman, but she's not happy being one person. She sort of gets her satisfaction from fooling everybody, and nobody knows who she really is.
2: Almost like a writer. (laughs) yes that's fantastic
1: the dark heart that lives there you know (laughs) that's
2: excellent so where can listeners that have listened to the story and listened to the interview and go i want more (laughs) where can they find more of your work
1: well hopefully on the wicked library in the future um sad to say i haven't got anything else out there right now i'm just a newbie at getting published and putting things out in the world because i've been wasting years and years working on novels that never get finished, Um, because I'm doing the short stories this year, I can say that, you know, hopefully sometime in the near future, I'm going to have a a few more of them out there. Um, If they want to check for what's going on with me, I have, I'm willing to give my email, my Facebook page that is dedicated mostly to writing and writers groups. And uh, I have a blog that I started about writing. So I have those three places that they could sort of check with me and and see what's going on to find my future stories.
2: Excellent. Yeah, well, we'll put links to everything in the show notes and people can go check out your profile in the Wicked Library and uh, track you down to your blog and find you on Facebook and and all that kind of fun stuff. But yeah, no, I think it's it's great that, uh, you know, one of the things that we try to do, we focus on independent authors and try to get your work out there to a larger audience that, you know, smaller indie publishers and smaller indie artists don't necessarily always get access to. It's one of the tougher things about being an independent author is you don't have that big machine behind you kind of pushing your work onto everybody.
1: Yeah. Or the experience on how to use it. Like I just started out and I just felt so lucky that you guys liked my story. I was like, wow, I am so lucky because I didn't even know what to do with it. I sort of sent it to a couple places I think four places and then you guys accepted it I was like oh oh I was in shock <laughs> I thought I would have to send it to a thousand places before someone would say you know okay we'll take it but we're going to change everything you know <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what was going to happen I'm a newbie I'm, I'm very new at this so yeah there's a lot of gratitude coming from here
2: Well, that's excellent. And I really appreciate you sending it in. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk today. And uh, obviously, we'll look to work together again in the future and, and do some more stuff next season.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.
2: You're very welcome.
0: plus.
2: Thank you for listening to today's episode of the wicked library. The wicked library is a ninth story studios production ninthstory.com. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. You can be a part of helping us keep the shows coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get Wicked Fun rewards like bookmarks, access to our archives, bonus stories, and more. The more generous you are, the more wicked the rewards are. Don't forget, too, you can also pick up some Wicked gear to plaster all over yourself and everything that you own over at thewickedlibrary.com and click on Get Wicked Gear. The Wicked Library is proud to have Booth Junkie as one of our Season 8 partners. Booth Junkie is a YouTube channel dedicated to the tech of at-home professional voiceover, created by the very talented Mike Delgadio. If you've ever been interested in getting into voiceover, seeing what goes into voice work, or just can't get enough of Mike's voice, it's a great channel to watch. You can find the channel by going to boothjunkie.com. Complete credits and full show notes, including links and information from today's episode, can be found on thewickedlibrary.com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page. And of course, the work of the narrators and authors of today's show. And, of course, links to the work of everyone involved in making today's show happen. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on. It makes it easier for John to get his digging done. Life's a garden. Dig it. With the Lucky Landslots,
1: you can get lucky just about anywhere.